This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are excited to still have some hockey action coming for at least one more game. I'm your host, Elon Dabrowski, and with me are a couple people, but first of all, of course, our friend, the fantasy hockey robot, the poobah of prognostication, the IPP MVP, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us once again for what could be, or actually what is guaranteed to be, the last episode of what will be the super weird 2019-2020 NHL regular and postseason. Happy to wind this down with everyone. Thank you for still being here with us. Uh, For all those who are still joining us weekly, it's crazy that we're doing this. This is the most playoff podcasting we've ever done uh, in the weirdest year that's ever happened. So I, I don't know if there's a correlation between those two things. But needless to say, we appreciate you being along with us for the ride. Yeah, and we'll hopefully make it worth your while one last time if you'll concur that we've made it worth your while up till now. I guess you wouldn't be listening otherwise. But yeah, Brian is right, by the way. We used to always just go bi-weekly come playoffs because we're not even playing fantasy. But we thought, what the heck? We had such a long break that it was like, now we're too excited. We had to talk about it every single week. And yeah, we've got some fun takeaways to talk about today, not only about this latest round, but also about the whole playoffs. And to help us do that, we've brought in a ringer, our friend from the Average Time on Ice twitter account and the short shifts episodes that were on our podcast feed what feels like a million years ago but it was actually just i don't know three four months i don't know back when the world was a little bit more normal but anyways you know him ben burnett welcome to the show ben Thank you so much, Elon. I think it's been six months oh since God. we've done short shift. So yeah, it's been a been a hot minute, but I am very excited to be here tonight and chat with you guys again. You know what's funny? It's like I in my head I was like almost thinking both. It feels like it's been forever, but but also like it may have just been recently. And it was like time has kind of become weird right now, and especially with the hockey playoffs. Like right now we're in September, right? We're almost in September. We would normally be draft we'd be this would be an episode doing last minute draft prep before the new season starts. Like, We'd be all talking about like uh, training camp and which play. Oh, quickly grab Victor Olafson. He's on the top line with Eichel. This is what we were saying a year ago today. And now here we are talking 
about the Stanley Cup Finals, which are now three games to two for Tampa Bay after that really fun game yesterday went to double overtime. You guys all know this, right? I'm not going to recap hockey, but it looked like it was going to be over. But no, we get some more action. And I'm, I'm happy, actually, that Tampa Bay won that game because I was expecting Ben for you to come on and roast me a little bit because you were just messaging us in our group chat yesterday about how you just recently listened to last week's episode where at when we released it, it was one game to nothing for Dallas. And I was saying, wow, like Chip Alexander was so smart to predict Dallas to win. And look at that. Now it's one nothing. This Dallas team, you can't beat them. They, and then after that, Tampa went on to look really good in the next three games. So at least it's not like I'm a total idiot for having made that call. Yes, you got the you had the worst possible outcome through three games after that, but then the stars came to your defense before. I mean, I didn't even have to roast you, Elon. You you did the roast, the self roast there. I, I roast my, I played myself. Okay, so before we get to everything, I haven't even really said what our plan is for today, but people will you'll come along for the ride. We're gonna have some fun. So uh, let's mention, of course, that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, which is the number one fantasy hockey website in the world. You got articles every day. You think like it's even like a minor thing, like a Mike Matheson for Patrick Hornfist trade. You're gonna have a full breakdown article of all the fantasy impact. That's the kind of site that Dauber Hockey is and every single day you've got new stuff coming up fantasy insights plus all the tools over at frozen tools i love it check it out dauberhockey.com but okay i guess let's talk about what our plan is for today uh which is basically we've all come up with some takeaways from this return to play that we've been watching over the past couple of months i assume most of them are going to be fantasy related but we're not going to i'm not going to nitpick if brian wants to throw in a gripe about something the nhl did poorly or if ben wants to throw in something about how great the rangers are but uh i think it's going to be fun and we'll kind of like figure it out as it goes like do either of you have like sort of a, a general comment before we start getting into these takeaways i'm kind of thinking of it as like Basically, because the NHL is so weird this year and uh, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, all of the uncertainty that went into the last few months, it's just a totally different offseason than anything we've ever seen before. So I was kind of thinking of it as a like breaking through uh, the narratives to just sort of see what things matter going into the offseason and what what we'll kind of be tracking at the beginning of the offseason as we move through. You know, typically right now, like you said, Elon, this is happening in June and July, but instead we're in the uh, end of September. So uh, I just had a lot of thoughts about how things have changed this year compared to the usual offseason. And I have thoughts that came to me while I was half asleep on the couch watching the uh, game six last night. Or it was game five. See, that's how asleep I was. I I barely knew, but I had some very old man uh, quarrels about how I felt about watching the game that I actually already dropped into the Discord group. So apologies to those who are already in there for hearing this choice. But now uh, I'm going to enrich them with more detail. But I'm going to try and stay positive, of course, because everybody loves hockey. Yeah, I'll be interested to hear what you have to say, Brian, because I was enjoying watching that game yesterday. I don't know uh, where you're coming from. I, I, so for me, it's like more fantasy related, of course, because that's the only thing I think about. But obviously, you guys maybe have some more nuance as, uh, you know, purists or whatever, or whatever Brian is. <laughs> of, 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 I'm like, not what a, no, be. I'm not a purist. I just I'm a grumpy old man is essentially what I am. I was I was enjoying the game. But it's funny because what, what you said about how normally this time of year, we're looking to the preseason and normally in June, I'm just like, oh man, this is going too long. Like I, I don't care about the Stanley Cup at this point. I was still having those feelings last night. So that's, that's a preview of, of, of what I have to say. But honestly, let's try and keep it fantasy focused. I'm very interested to hear yours and Ben's and then maybe I'll pepper 
my thoughts as I see fit, but I would like to keep the mood upbeat. All we we need good vibes right now. Sure, always good vibes only. So uh, yeah, and obviously we'll love to hear from you. Uh, tweeted us at Keeping Carlson both your thoughts on any of our takeaways here, and also if you have your own takeaways, maybe we could do a follow up episode with any takeaways we hear from people. But let's get this ball rolling. Ben, why don't you get started? Drop our, your number one return to play takeaway that you came up with. Um, yeah. So for me, I think the this is this isn't as specific of a take as I'm going to get uh, further on, but it's sort of like my overall thesis for as we head into this off season. I just feel like these playoffs, even more than normal, need to be taken with a a large disclaimer, not to overrate this sample like i know that in these unprecedented times is like a meme at this point but in this situation we need to recall that in addition to these playoffs being a small sample size they also represent so much confusion and uncertainty and like environments that players were going into without having any sort of context i don't know if you guys read that espn article that was talking about players expectations of the bubble being kind of shattered when they arrived then there's all these reports about teams showing up and finding you know like they didn't find chemistry in training camp or whatever it is all these disjointed teams there's no way for us to know which ones are true right which you know which reports because after a team gets knocked out of the playoffs every single year, you're going to hear, uh, it wasn't meant to be this group. Of, the narrative takes over. And so I think that that's more true than ever this year. And so I think that we just need to not overrate small sample sizes even more. Keep your memory. And I think that the best example of this would be thinking about the Dallas Stars. If anyone were to go into a draft in a few months and start to think, all right, what's changed since I was last playing fantasy? They're going to see Dallas as a finals team and think, oh, maybe Dallas started to figure out what was going on there. But the top line isn't really scoring. Joe Pavelski's leading the team. He has a 60-point pace over 82 games. I just I don't want people to overrate what has happened over the past few months when it comes to making their offseason decisions. Okay, I I feel that for sure. I think Joe Pavelski is a name for sure that I'm I'm feeling that about like his stock. I think what you're trying to say is when it seems someone's stock has risen because of their playoff performance, it's just an illusion because we're in these super kooky circumstances and playoffs aren't really reliable anyway for telling us what to expect for the next season in most cases. Honestly, I think playoffs are about as informative as preseason in terms of give, giving us fantasy takeaways. Come Although on. It, it, <laughs> well, okay, I'll, I'll correct one It's a little strong, but that. sure. <laughs> well, it's a hot take. I, you got to keep it spicy. We're, we're like, look at what we're doing weekly through the postseason we're podcasting, but I'll edit that take a little to say in the playoffs, you might have an insight as to what line combos and things are happening. But in terms of individual player performance, it's been nice to see Pavelski come into his own. It's been really nice to see Jamie Ben wake up. It's been nice to see Alex Radulov still become a, become a reasonably consistent producer again. But this doesn't mean that this is what I'm expecting from them when we go back to regular season. Playoff hockey is a, is, is a different animal. 
I, I don't think you can take a whole lot away from what you see. Sure, some players will break out and that'll carry through into the next season. Uh, but really, aside from deployment information, I don't really gather a ton. Although one guy you can say who's stuck has not risen at all, Tyler Sagan, who has two goals in 25 games in the since return to play. He has 66 shots, though. So he's still, uh, it's still not the shot volume that I want to see from him, but almost approaching three shots per game. That's a start, but it's uh, it's not what I'm hoping to see. It's nice that he's thrown five assists together in his last two games. It was before that. He wasn't even on the score sheet, uh, but now it's just like, okay, uh, Tyler Sagan's on the score sheet, but he needs to get back into that goals column. I keep feeling like I want to predict him to score the next big goal, but I think the only goal he can score now is the series clinching goal. Like that, that would be the only way this narrative can go from here. Yeah, so of course we have talked on the show about how Tyler Sagan apparently had a wrist injury. I guess we'll get confirmation on that once the playoffs are over. So I think that might end up answering why he's having more trouble scoring. Also, I guess we can't bury the lead that he, just yesterday he had a great three assist game. So it's the kind of thing where, like, like what Ben said with small sample sizes, I almost feel like my whole thoughts of Sagan have sort of changed after watching yesterday's game, which is crazy because that's just a single game. But yeah, he's definitely a guy that... Yeah, I know that Ben is saying don't put too much stock in things, but it's hard not to be a little concerned about Sagan. Though, of course, for me, that wrist injury also will uh, clarify why maybe he's been quiet. So I'm interested to see all the news that comes out. You know, whenever a team gets eliminated, you always get all these, like, updates on the health of all the different players. Uh, Okay, I guess, like, what about on the negative side in terms of, like, some goalies? Like, for me... One of my takeaways, so maybe I'll go into that, but then it'll also still be talking about Ben's takeaway, and you could tell me whether or not we should be reading into this. But, like, Bennington, he stunk, right? Like, that was, like, I think a big narrative earlier on in the playoffs. This was after already a not-great season, and then he, like, totally blew it in the playoffs. And, like, one of my takeaways was going to be, like, Bennington really goes into next season not, like, super entrenched, even though St. Louis does trade away Jake Allen, which makes things a bit more interesting. But, like, I just, like, don't have a lot of confidence in Bennington. Maybe it was already waning a bit after, like, not the most amazing regular season, but now it's gone down a lot, along with, I'll say, Braden Holtby and Sergei Bobrovsky are goalies that just, like, Holtby and Bobrovsky weren't around too long. But, uh, yeah, they're those three goalies are the ones that if I was already down on them after the regular season, I'm like even more down on them after the playoffs. Yeah. I think that I agree with you that those are three. I feel the same way, but I'm not changed by their playoff performance just because it was kind of in line with, uh, with what I expected. Actually, I'll say on the the topic of Bennington, I'm a little bit more bullish on him. If only because they clearly didn't value what Jake Allen was bringing to the table, which I kind of felt Anyway, I know that the Jake Allen hype was starting to get a little a little hot, but uh, maybe they just couldn't turn down what the Habs were offering because of the the cap relief. But to me, that that trade says that they're going into next year and they plan on giving Bennington the same number of starts. Okay, that's interesting because I thought that trade said, uh, well, maybe we can save some cap space and still get something out of Vili Huso. Uh, and I guess, is there nobody else in the picture now? I just want to double check this. I think that there's also still all of unrestricted free agency. Who knows if St. Louis maybe goes for one of those guys. I will say that, like, definitely the coaching staff, like, like they said, I think the GM said this, like, no, like, Bennington's still our guy. And, like, there's what that's, like, one thing. And I feel like that's more, though, useful for forwards, right? Like, just to know a forward is going to be sticking on the top line, on the top power play, like, you know there's some baseline production you're going to get. But, like, 
St. Louis could be as confident as they want to be in Bennington, and they can say all they want about how confident they are. But if he comes in and puts up a 900 save percentage or lower, then he's not going to be valuable to your fantasy team regardless. So I like regardless of what anyone says, I'm just concerned that he might just not be as good at playing goalie as we thought he was at this time last year. It's going to be a weird kind of situation to be able to tease apart if Petrangelo does not, in fact, resign with the Blues to tease apart how if Bennington does struggle, how much of that is because he's just not up to the task and how much of that is because the Blues lost their biggest minute defenseman and probably one of the top five defensive defensemen in the league who sees more than 20 minutes a night pretty much every night. Uh, so it's it's going to be a weird sort of change if Petrangelo isn't there to try and understand, uh, like, should Huso get a chance? Or does the whole team just need to adjust because they've lost such a, a huge part of their lineup? So I think that's going to buy Bennington some time, to be honest. So, uh, so Ben, I kind of am with you in that I think Bennington is going to get more chances than he normally would. If Petrangelo does leave and that defense core has has a bit of a makeover and has a lot of adjustments to make, um, because otherwise I I think he'd have a week or two or or who knows right like when you said that uh, the management came out and said that Bennington was going to be their guy it reminds me a lot of the Penguins saying Matt Murray's our guy Matt Murray's our guy over and over long after we all know he shouldn't be so. Uh, I don't know. I'm excited to see what Huso is able to do. If if we all remember, Huso was like we were we were calling him a sleeper the season that Bennington broke out, and I think uh, he was injured at the time that the opportunity was there for Bennington to come in because of injuries to Jake Allen and uh, I can't remember who the other guy was at the time. I don't know. Carter Hutton. I don't know. It was Carter Hutton or Brian Elliott or someone. Uh, but Huso just wasn't available for that opportunity. And that only that gave Bennington the ability to leapfrog Huso. So I'm wondering if Huso can uh, can really get back in there and throw another punch. But you guys aren't like rating Huso when it comes to like drafting next year, right? No. I like mean, the value of a Ville Huso, as it is with any backup goalie coming into the league, is that maybe he could become valuable later on. And I think my takeaway with Bennington from the return to play is he could have had a 930. He could have had a 750 in save percentage. I probably wouldn't, you know, change my opinion of him too directly. But the main thing is, like, I think of him as a, you know, average-ish starter on a good team. And the Blues clearly are not committing to to anyone else, right? Like they bailed on Jake Allen after he had a much better season. So they're obviously not going to then just be like, whoever we pull up is going to be going to start 40 games like that seems ridiculous. So to me, I, I just don't see I don't see the team going off of Bennington uh, within the first half of next year. Yeah, that's fair. I totally agree. Like, and again, like, regardless, I thought Bennington was going to be the starter and get lots of games next year. So again, just my takeaway is that I'm more concerned that he might not be that great. Uh, so we'll see. And Bobrovsky, by the way, is another one I'll just throw out there. He had a couple good games and a couple bad games against the Islanders. This is like a way long time ago, back when they were in the qualifying games. Uh, yeah, he's just another guy. We don't even really need to discuss him. But again, just like St. Louis, like it's not as if the uh, Panthers have someone else ready to come in. I guess Chris Drieger is the guy at some point. And obviously, they've got Spencer... Uh, 
What's Knight. his name? Spencer Knight. That's going to one day, hopefully, uh, bail this team out in nets if Bobrovsky is not able to. And maybe it might have to come sooner than later. But yeah, he's another guy. You know, it's like one of these things where you almost want to say, you know, like maybe he's a sleeper for next year because he did so badly this past season and the playoffs he wasn't great. So he's going to fall so much that, you know, you have this hunch where you always want to be like, now's a great time to buy low because like he can't get any worse. And that's true, <laughs> like, I guess to, to some extent, but color me like not super optimistic i guess especially on this panthers team which i don't know have they maybe improved their defense by trading away mike matheson <laughs> maybe that's a t- though he was scratched for a bunch of games and it's not like bob did any better so uh not excited about him and then off and my last guy was holtby who we'll have to see where he goes and then we could judge the team that pays too much for him elon let me ask you this do you when looking at a fantasy goalie think more about the player or the team that they're on yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, I feel like it's been evolving. It also, like, I, there's, like, a few things, right? There's the player, the team, and then there's also, like, the situation in terms of, you know, when you say the team, there's both, like, how good their defense is and how good they are, like, winning games. And there's also, like, what's the competition within the team? Like, who's going to compete with that goalie? So you look at, like, like, you know, the Islanders next year. I feel like Varlamov was fantastic. And everyone says that Sorokin is amazing. But neither of them are probably going to go near the top of fantasy drafts just because the other guy is there. And so you don't want to like play or pay a lot for a goalie that maybe will only play half the games, which is a great situation for the Islanders. But yeah, I think for me, it's like that was actually going to be another one of my takeaways. Maybe we can now go to another one here is like, this whole goalie situation is so weird in the league because so many teams we saw had success by playing multiple goalies in the playoffs or like switching over to their backup. Like obviously Hudobin is the biggest example where Bishop was injured and Dallas like really lucked out by having such a good backup goalie in Hudobin. And so you think more NHL teams next year are going to try to go with this idea of like, you know, going 50-50. Also, we saw Carey Price, by the way, like out of nowhere, go back to his vintage form after being able to finally rest for a little while. It took a pandemic for Carey Price to be able to take a couple days off and not have to play every single game. And we saw how that helped him. So on one hand, I would think that all the, you know, in terms of fantasy, like I'm going to try to find, okay, sorry. What I want to say is like, I used to in fantasy be like, I'm not even going to bet on a goalie because it's so unpredictable and some goalies are good and some goalies are bad. And like, there's so, but now I feel like it's almost like with all these teams going towards this idea of having tandems, I almost feel like the goalies that are not in tandems on good teams, which are becoming fewer and farther between are becoming like almost like so much more valuable that now I almost have to like switch my policy of generally not betting high on goalies. I don't know if I've come to this decision. So maybe you can, guys can help me, but I feel like an Andre Vasilevsky who Tampa just plays every single game in the playoffs with confidence and you just you know that's going to happen again next season or like a Carter Hart on Philadelphia. Like these guys are going to play a ton of games on what probably a playoff team, you know, I, I think almost definitely playoff teams, like really good teams. And I feel like that's going to be so rare. Like there might not be that like Montreal just got Jake Allen. I think the plan is to not play Carey Price anywhere near how many games they've played him the last few seasons. So I don't know, Brian, I guess I'll, I'll throw to you. Uh, like, what do you think? Like, should, is this kind of like dumb to now go back to overvaluing goalies? Like we used to a few years ago before we learned that you don't want to do that because they're so unpredictable. I don't think this is a huge change from, like, I'll start by saying I, this seems really consistent with what we've already been seeing. I'm looking at our Schmore goalies board rankings from before this season even began, and we had Vasilevsky and Anderson uh, as unchallenged starters on good teams that you want a piece of. And then we had Flurry, Price, Gibson, and Bobrovsky. So we had six goalies who we were, like, sure, they're entrenched 
And if you want to go for that dedicated starter, though, that's all you can choose from. Uh, everybody else has at least someone breathing down their necks, if not who's already uh, like wedged themselves into 30, 35, even 40 starts. So uh, I, I agree that that pool is still... Uh, really compelling because there's so few of them like the Carter Hearts, especially if you know they're really good. But how many goalies? Uh, I'm going to name you. We uh, like who can actually deliver uh, on being the workhorse and actually hold up good numbers over the course of the season. Because going into this one, we named Vasilevsky, Anderson, Flurry, Price, Gibson, and Bobrovsky. One of those guys, Andre Vasilevsky, would have been consistently helpful to you the whole season long. So if you want to throw that dart and try and land that one starter who's going to be good for you the whole season long, that's great. Go for it. But I really think there's going to be enough value to be found uh, later in your drafts and in free agency. I mean, look at the look at the Columbus goalies coming out of nowhere. Look at Linus Allmark. Uh, there's look at Thomas Grice and Semyon Varlamov. There are lots of players, especially if you start looking at systems rather than goalies, which I think is one takeaway I've got from these playoffs. Is uh, I mean Dallas's. Uh, defensive protection in the playoffs hasn't been as great as it has been in the regular season and over the last few years as Ben and I were discussing on the Facebook group not too long ago but uh, you look at the Islanders it's like oh yeah Barry Trotz's teams protect their goalies Uh, Dallas is another team that protects their goalies Minnesota is another team that protects their goalies so I actually think Rather than looking uh, to to spend a high draft pick and invest in a goalie just because you think he's going to be a workhorse first, uh, buyer beware, because a workhorse goalie actually putting up great numbers all season long is a really freaking tall task for a workhorse goalie and for you to actually get it right of the five or six who might actually have a chance to do that. And then on the other hand, uh, you can probably get someone a lot deeper in the draft uh, by just biding your time. So uh, I am not into investing in one of these workhorses. I'm okay to spend another roster spot or two. And we saw Elon and Ben in the cupful too. Um, people place a lot less value on goalies, especially, I mean, that has to do with the weight we put on goalies and how we balance our league uh, so that, you know, one goalie doesn't win you the league. But Names were constantly available. And if you needed spot starts and wanted to to ride a goalie here and there, you usually could. I, I had five goalies on my roster at times just because I was, you know, trying to gather games and this was the best strategy for me in a given week. But I just don't see a reason to go all in on committing to a goalie when you can get a much surer thing in a skater. Right. So, Brian, just to be clear... Uh, what you're saying now is exactly what I was also saying, like wh- what we both agreed on going into the season, right? My point was, because you said like, maybe you can throw a dart. What I'm saying is maybe my takeaway is it's not a dart. There's like two guys, you know, I'm talking like that, va- like my yeah, take- Even they are darts. Like even, you're even risking on them. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Like, I, like you are risking, but I feel like when I used to think I'll get a starter later on, like, you know, I'll be able to not, I don't need to take one of these top starters because there's lots of other starting goalies and who knows which one is going to be good. I guess what I'm, and I'm not even necessarily saying this is how I feel. It's sort of just a thought that's come to my head is with fewer, like, sure starters in the league, getting, like, does that push Vasilevsky 
up the draft board? Like, does he become a guy to take in the first round? Because now it's like, if you don't get him, sure, you could go for a Columbus goalie. Sure, you can go for like an Islanders goalie. But it's really unlikely that one of them is going to actually play a lot of games. And if your league values... You know, I'm talking about for league. I'm not like the couple doesn't necessarily value volume, right? So maybe that's not the best example. But if you're in a league that counts saves or wins and you care a lot about just getting a lot of games, I wonder if the fact that the league has started to transition into most teams having tandems that play 50 50, does that make the few guys left like so much more valuable, like a Vasilevsky and Hart? So that's why I'm wondering, like, should these guys now be considered like first round picks in a lot of leagues just because they're like the only reliable options left? Like, you could throw Hellebuck, but we have our concerns about the Jets and like a lot. You know, say at Allmark, but we have our concerns about Buffalo. So I feel like we're almost like really narrowing down to like, you know, I know you said that we already did this going into the year with, and you went through Schmorgoisborg, but I wonder if it's like going to become like tier one and then tier three, you know, and there is no tier two because yeah. every goalie ends up like falling into this pile of like they're going to be in a tandem. I don't at all disagree that Vasilevsky and all, we don't know what Flurry, what's going to happen with Flurry in Vegas, but if Liner is like the only one standing there, so Vasilevsky and Liner and Carter Hart our first round worthy draft picks in your fantasy leagues, they're just not ones that I'm going to make. I like it obviously comes down to how comfortable you are investing that much in a goalie. I think I can find more value. Uh, like I can compensate more and make up for the goalie position later in the draft than I could a skater. Yeah. You might get to a point where you're going to decide by not taking one of these sure starting goalies, you have to then re- realize I'm going to need to take an extra goalie in this draft. Like I yeah. could take Vasilevsky and have an extra skater on my team all season long because I don't need extra goalies to like meet my minimum starts or to have a chance of taking wins every week. Or I can take like a sure star- uh, starting goalie and then maybe only hold one or two goalies instead of having to hold three. In leagues that prioritize volume, for sure. Like these guys still still hold a lot of a lot of weight, especially if they're on like quality teams like Philly and Tampa. Yeah. Uh, again, there's no doubt they're top round picks. They might even be uh, like way 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 up there, depending on your format. I just uh, I've just been burned too many no, times. No, yeah, for sure. It's, it's not it's not a I'm not going to change it. But I hear what you're saying that these guys are like even even more rarefied air. So you really have to go for like if you want to go for them, you really have to go for them. Yeah, and I don't think I don't know if I'm going to change it either. But I was just saying, like, it's something that's crossed my mind. Ben, what do you think? Well, yeah, can we? I'd like to expand the discussion on goaltenders next year because I agree with you guys that the guys at the top obviously have a bit of an extra appeal that they would going into this year. But what I think is really interesting is thinking about what the makeup of a 2021 season looks like. Because, and this was a a takeaway that I was going to get into a bit later, but. This next year could be 40 games in 80 days. You know what I mean? The season could be compressed. The schedule could be uh, games every other day. We could be looking at, you know, specialized bubbles. So teams are, you know, eight teams go into one city and they play there. Like we still don't know what next year looks like. And so as a result, I think those middle guys, you know, you talked about a tandem like a Sorokin Varlamov situation or Shostyorkin and, and Georgiev maybe on the other New York team both of these guys are going to have certain value because there's going to be a shorter turnaround between Mm. because of the possibility of shorter turnaround between games. That's something that we all need to be looking forward to or looking towards when we're doing drafts next year. Actually, Ben, that's a really smart point because even like, let's say if we weren't having the compressed schedule, you do just, first of all, just to address what you're saying is like, if 
all goalies are tandems. Like, let's say, aside from, like, Vasilevsky and Hart, like, those couple guys, like, Hellebuck or whatever. If most goalies are tandems, and all of a sudden now we sh- we can start valuing, like, someone like Varlamov, who we never would have considered more than, like, a late, later, mid to late round pick because he's going to be in a tandem. Now, all of a sudden, if everyone is, now you can start looking at who is the best tandem goalie. Maybe all of a sudden this becomes, like, the top five goalie in fantasy. So that is interesting. And then you're right, with the shortened schedule you uh, got to think that more teams are going to do tandems than usual. Like maybe even Tampa Bay is going to have to play uh, McElhenney or whoever they decide to be their backup next year more than they normally would just because they don't want to tire Vasilevsky out more than even just a normal heavy season goes. So yeah, that's a very interesting point. And I wonder if that would just lead to a lot more of a revolving door for goalies. Like if every team, let's just say for argument's sake, uh, 30 teams in the league, and I know that's not every team. I'm leaving Carter Hart and Vasilevsky on their own. So 30 teams in the league are rotating two goalies, roughly a 50-50 split. Does everybody decide it's worth rostering both goalies and only getting, you know, half the workload from those two roster spots that you once would have gotten? Or does everyone decide, okay, I've got my one guy who I who I never want to give up. Uh, they're really consistent over the 40, 45, like that 1A maybe. And then you just rotate other goalies through that second spot as you need. And that would, uh, of course, like deplete the skater ranks a little more. But I wonder if the whole strategy of how to use your goalie roster spots changes as those tandem usages grow. And you know that there's people listening right now that are like tearing their hair out being like, Brian, like, I wish I could rotate. But in my league, like every single goalie is drafted and none are available in free agency. So it obviously depends on your league if you even have the option. But yeah, if you're in a league where generally there's only like, let's say, 40 goalies owned total of every team in the league, then yeah, you can just kind of rotate all these different backups, especially since they're going to be playing more often than usual. But yeah, but if it's the kind of league where a lot of goalies are drafted, then yeah, it's very interesting because you got to start just really thinking like maybe now if I don't get one of the top guys, maybe I just wait a long time because normally I would have had to draft a goalie early in order to get my volume. But now the volume is a lot more spread out. So that's going to be interesting. And it's something we're definitely going to have to follow. And yeah, and obviously there's always going to be a surprise with goalies. So at the end of the day, you can't predict too much. So I guess you do just sort of want to play the odds. And now there's going to be more dices that you can throw since there's going to be more goalies that we could be confident are going to play more games than usual. Uh, so cool. Uh, I guess, does anyone have any more goalie takeaways they want to get to before we move to skaters? I have a Kudobin take. All right. Well, you, first you got to say it right, because I feel like after watching the whole playoffs, we can't be on this podcast saying Kudobin at this point. Anton. Okay, we'll talk about Anton. I have an Anton take. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think uh, warning flags up on Anton Hudobin. Um, we've seen this before, right? Where, where a player looks really good right before hitting, or where a goalie in particular in their 30s looks really good before hitting free agency. And then they go to a Buffalo, and uh, I'm thinking Carter Hutton, obviously, here. And everyone's like, well, I mean, they were really good last year on that good team. Maybe they can bring some legitimacy to uh, to this other team with 60 starts or whatever. I'm just... I'm not saying that I, you know, I'm, I guarantee Anton Hudobin is bad le- next year, but we've seen enough mediocre Anton Hudobin over the past eight years for the alarm bell to be the uh, slightly raised. Okay. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, we definitely thought uh, Hudobin was going to be a starter in Carolina, right? Like he had this uh, 
Basically, his first season where he saw real time, he was 27 years old. He put up a 926 save percentage. This is after uh, a year of backup duty in Boston where he put up 920 over 14 games. Uh, and then in his second season in Carolina, so basically his, his, uh, he had 50 games under his belt going into his third season of semi regular deployment. And he laid an egg. He just posted a 900 save percentage. But every other season that he's seen at least 30 games, uh, it, essentially the last three seasons, he's been pretty good. And again, he plays for Dallas. And Dallas protects their goalies very well. But uh, his numbers have still stood out. 930 this season, 923 the year before, uh, 913 in Boston the year before that, which is like, fine, okay, I'll take it. Um, but I do wonder, uh, Ben, like, I'll, I'll follow your train of thought. I'll, bi- I'll, I'll bite a little and say if some team wants Hudobin to, to give him a rich contract and also anoint him the starter, we, like, all bets are off. We haven't seen this guy play more than 41 games in a season. And that's not a mark against him, but I'm, cu- I would be at least a little wary of seeing what he, is asked to do as a number one or a number one a and how he manages that workload. I would. So let's say he goes to a, you know, a bad or like non like a playoff bubble team. I don't, I think that he's in that tier of good goalie, bad team at the, at his highest, even in, even in Boston in that last year where he played 31 games, barely a break, even goalie in goals, goals saved above average. So yeah, I mean, he's been really good in Dallas. There's no doubt about it. But by next year, he's 35 on a, on a team as a starter for the first time. We haven't seen how his body uh, handles that sort of regularity. I mean, obviously, he's handling it very nicely in this uh, in the bubble right now. But I'm just saying, be wary of dra- overdrafting Anton Hudobin and, and getting your hopes too high. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like, I think he's solid, but he's going to probably be overrated going to next season in fantasy just because of how well he did in the playoffs. Obviously, we'll see where he goes. But even if he goes to like a decent enough team, let's say, I'm trying to think of like a good spot from like, let's say he goes to like Vegas, a good team. Let's say Vegas doesn't get Leonard, then they're running like Hudobin Flurry as their tandem, which I think is like a somewhat legit possibility. He'll be good. I think he'll be fine. But, you know, he's not... He's Right now, he's got superstar love. It's the same with, like, the hockey cards. I'm sorry. Now I'm going to start I'd bringing I'd love up- him on Vegas, to be clear. Like, if he went to a good team and he was going to get 50 starts, I'd be like, hell yeah. Like, let's go. Well, first of all, he won't. If a team is smart, they won't give I, him 50 yeah. starts. But, like, he might go to a good team. He probably should go to... Like, why would a bad team spend a lot of money on an aging goalie? I feel like Hudobin is perfect in what the role he's had in Dallas these past couple of years. To be, uh, like, a 1B to Ben Bishop and play not half the games, but almost half the games, and really just give them this, like, guaranteed solid goaltending all the time. So we'll see. Obviously, we'll discuss it more once he lands on a team. But I think regardless, he'll be overrated in fantasy, even if I agree with Brian that he is like a good goalie. What I was about to say is because I've been talking a lot about hockey cards lately. I actually started a hockey card podcast with a guy named Ryan Krieg called the Near Mint uh, Hockey Card Podcast. You can look that up. But anyways, if I had a Hudobin uh, rookie card right now, I'd be selling for sure, and if I and I wouldn't be buying because right now it's like you could see it's super inflated. If you look on eBay at his value, and this is to me, it's like a lot like fantasy. That's why I've kind of gotten into this hockey card thing. It's like right now his card is selling for a lot more than it like I think ever has. And it makes sense why, but it's also like, I'm not going to go and spend $30 on a Hudobin rookie card right now when I think next year at this time it'll fall back down. 
pretty far and and the same thing in fantasy like right now is a like he's good we all we knew he's good for the past couple of years but he's not going to be this like superstar leading his team to the cup uh next year i very much doubt that <laughs> yeah i i like that sounds like a pretty fair like it's not that's not even going out on a limb right like no one is a hundred percent bought in especially at his age and i'm trying to think uh, the goalie, Ben, you mentioned was Carter Hutton. I'm trying to think of how many other goalies we've seen recently uh, have that big season just before they, you know, get moved on to a starter's role. The Bobrovsky. Ones I can... <laughs> well, that wasn't to a starter's role. He was already a starter. Yeah. So the ones I'm thinking of are Cam Talbot and Martin Jones. And Martin Jones is a punchline now. But his first season in San Jose, uh, he had a 918 save percentage. Cam Talbot's first season in Edmonton, a 917 save percentage. And they actually both had uh, a couple decent years before they each fell off. And one of them, Talbot, has start, is just starting to recover now. But it, I'm trying to think of any goalie that we've seen go in his later stage career from a backup role to a starter role and really, really succeed uh, on a new team. So my issue with comparing Hudobin to those players is just career arc wise, we're looking at a player who in all likelihood is in the last few years of his career. Hudobin should probably go to a team that's willing to give him like if he wants to maximize his career earnings, this might be his only chance to earn starters money. And so he should go and find that. However, uh, I would be a little bit wary. The players you mentioned, they got traded. Cam Tabo was like 28 when he left New York. Uh, Martin Jones was much younger and and was just a player who, who we had not yet seen. Uh, we had not yet seen even a couple hundred starts from him at that point. Anton Hudobin is the same, but that's because he has been a career backup. So I just find it really difficult to imagine him extend, suddenly at 35 being able to be a, a starting goalie in the league. Yeah. Though before we move on, like again, like not to be negative, right? Like amazing what he's done this playoffs, and I'm super happy. It's fun watching his locker room uh, little speeches where he was like, "We're not going home." And (laughs) you know, I I love that so much. And like, I appreciate you saying that, Elon, because I'm not trying to be negative either. And I, but it's if we're looking into the future then it's easier to find that. Yeah, that's how you play fantasy, of course. you got to find out who's value too high and who's value too low. So before we get to skaters now, I think we're done with goalie talk for the episode, uh, why don't we take a second to thank our sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at DraftKings. They've been sponsoring our whole Return to Play slate of podcasts. They're the reason why we've been coming at you every single week, because they wanted us to tell you about the great stuff going on on DraftKings. It's such a fun game. We've been playing it with the patrons the whole time, also through the playoffs, having matchups every single day. You, you draft a team. Uh, I assume you guys know how daily fantasy works, right? You you want to like pick your players. You've got a salary that you can't go above the cap, and each player has a certain amount. And so it's like a strategy game of figuring out you know which guys to put in your lineup. Obviously, you've got to be smart. I actually asked one of the people. Oh, I got De- Dunny Men, Brian, the guy who keeps winning all the time. Yeah. Yeah, so I asked him, like, what's your secret? And he said he's always first finding his, like, cheap guys that he's going to, you know, his sleepers that he's going to put in his lineup, and then he fills out the superstars later. I was always doing the opposite. And first, it's like, okay, yeah, I want Kucherov, uh, I want Brady Point, then, okay, who do I have money left for? But this guy was going the other way, and it was working out well for him. So, yeah, it's a whole fun game. And then you watch the games, and it adds a whole little layer. They have a really fun app where you can see all the points updating in real time, just like in fantasy, you know, and there's all these different categories that you can follow and target in terms of, like, 
like, you know, you get points for shots and blocks and all this stuff. It's a blast. And I know hockey's over. So you're thinking, why are you telling me about this? I don't care because hockey's over. So tell me next year. But you know what? There are other sports in the world. I don't know if you know about this NFL football, uh, but this is a sport where they throw the ball and they like, they have to run. They have to get a touchdown. Field goals. It's a, it's a whole exciting game. And you can play DraftKings with football and you're drafting your teams. And there's a lot of money that you could potentially win if you want to go that route. Brian, you want to tell them how? Yeah. All you need to do to get in on the action with us and the world, uh, wherever it's legal, I guess, download the DraftKings app now and use the code Carlson, like Eric's last name. And for a limited time, new users can get a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes this week. Those words are capitalized. Don't miss out on the week three NFL action. I think that's where we're at. Enter the code Carlson to get a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes with your first deposit. That's code Carlson. And also you get to play fantasy with us on a daily basis for the last two games of the season. Uh, only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And usually, you know, Elon, you know, we mentioned football as well as we both just have. But Ben is a is kind of a football knower amongst us. So, Ben, who's your, your shoe-in or your lock of the week? Uh, well, I, I had New England winning earlier today, but at this point, there's only two games left. And by tomorrow, there will only be one. So I guess you're making me pick the Monday night winner, which is between maybe the two best teams in the league, the Chiefs and the Ravens. I got to take, and this is not a lock. I'm going to take the Ravens, though. Mm. Wow. Great, great call. Mm-hmm. Is Joe Flacco their quarterback? No, 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 hmm. no. They have they have the reigning MVP as their quarterback. Oh, What's uh, his name? Everybody knows that guy. His name's Lamar Jackson. You guys know that when you're saying the lock of the week, like DraftKings doesn't work like that. You don't pick which team's going to win. Yeah. You got to know. <laughs> yeah, give true. us a, fan- a daily fantasy. Lock it's it's Lamar Jackson. He's going to throw oh, like Lamar five Jackson. touchdowns. There we no go. Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing with football, fantasy football is that you have to devalue quarterbacks because there are so many good ones. But with fantasy, or with daily, it's it's obviously different. Um, but I don't know. Uh, stack Mahomes and uh, and the... Uh, All right. And, yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first, people. Stack Mahomes <laughs> and whoever's with Mahomes, it's, yeah. you're going to do well. <laughs> I, I know Mahomes. Yeah. He's the superstar. You He's should. the guy I know. Let's move on and talk about some hockey forwards and if we've had any takeaways about them in the playoffs. How about I'll throw one out to start. I've got some guys. Again, these are kind of like, these are going to be the coldest things I can say, but I'm just going to say the playoffs have made me even more excited about these following players than I already was. So like these are guys who already have, are coming off great seasons, and I maybe would have already predicted them to even build on that for next year. But I've got uh, three, I guess four forwards in mind that I think are going to, like, and the playoffs have only cemented the fact to me that these are, like, true superstars that are about to have, like, monster seasons. So here are the names. These are not going to be hot takes. So you could sit down or stand up. You could drink water. I promise you won't be spitting your water out for this. Okay, number one is... Elias Pettersson. He is so no. good. <laughs> so he had 18 points in 17 games for the Canucks in the playoffs. Again, some really strong goaltending, if you recall, especially in Robin Leonard at the end there. And uh, he's coming off a 66-point in 68-game regular season, so he's already a point-per-game guy. 
I just think that it's coming. Like he's only, it's crazy to think he's only 21. He's going to turn 22 during next season. I think the 90, 95, maybe 100 point season might be upon us. And I, my, I pro- like I said, I probably would have said that anyways. But uh, the playoffs just even more so said that yeah, Elias Patterson's amazing. Uh, the other, I'll just tell you the other two names and you could equally not gasp. Uh, Braden Point. He's been wow. insane in this playoffs. He's another guy who had an 80 point pace approximately this season and like what we're seeing is like i don't know if it's like better for him that stamkos is gone or not because he still played with kucherov most of the year anyways and he's on the top power play and he's just really showing us that like no i'm for real like i remember a couple years ago we were kind of surprised when point broke out the way he did and at this point it's like this guy's a superstar that maybe even has more upside and the last one again you're not going to be surprised but uh sebastian ajo so he was uh eliminated a long time ago at this point but in his eight playoff games he had 12 points uh carolina's just going to get better i'm like i just talked with chip alexander last week about how like you know can't hurt that Svechnikov is going to just develop into a better and better winger for Aho if they stay on the same line. And uh, yeah, Sebastian Aho, I think he's potentially got like 90, 100 point upside for next season. So these are three guys that are already like point per game. And I, through the playoffs, have just convinced me even more so that they are real superstars that can have huge years. Well, Elon, I'm going to just step in on point here and mention he's already done what you want him to do next year right he had a 92 point season the season before this one in 1819 as a 22 year old and then you mentioned this year uh like now in the playoffs is he doing better because sam coast isn't around and i think the answer is very much likely yes uh you're right he's still playing with kucherov but we talked about kucherov uh was it last week or two weeks ago and how he's suddenly re-breaking out without sam coast and we said well you know without sam coast he has more responsibility and I can tell you the same has been true for Braden Point, who is seeing two more minutes per night uh, in the postseason. Of course, that might include like some really skewed uh, overtime matchups. I think it almost for sure does, Brian. In a small sample size like this, a couple of these double, triple overtime games really make a big difference. Okay, but if I'm looking at his playoff game logs uh, just in time on ice, okay, he's, yeah. re- he's regularly going... Uh, at least a minute longer than he would have in the regular season. There are a couple games where he was under, uh, but mostly over his regular season pace. Although I think you're right, Elon, actually. This is mostly skewed by a few, uh, like, you know, he had a 47-minute game, a 29-minute game, 26-minute game. Those make up three of the 22 games in this sample. So, uh, okay, maybe I should walk this back a little bit, but I do think that he's still being asked, like Kucherov, to do a little more with or not being asked has to do a little more as we talked about um a couple rounds ago tampa just is not so deep all of a sudden like they have a lot of their depth is strong but that doesn't mean that they have a lot of it um their their depth players are good role players they're perfect for that secondary tertiary scoring role but uh once you get past point and kucherov with no stamkos that's about it for like the primary scores. I know we can mention Palat and how well he's doing. Actually, he's the one I'm the most interested to see how his playoffs uh, converts to the next season. This isn't his first uh, rodeo in terms of being a really great producer. Remember, he broke out as one of the triplets as a 23 year old with 63 points in 75 games. Uh, the season before that, he actually had 59 points. So he had two really strong seasons before disappearing into sort of this utility player. 
And uh, he's someone I'm really curious to see uh, how things play out beyond this season and whether he gets to stay up with Point and Kucherov on a regular basis, which no one ever really did. That spot rotates a lot, but he's also seeing uh, plenty of ice time these playoffs and making the most of it. So Braden Point, uh, I would love, and by the way, just also going back about Point, the knock against him going into this season was like he scored on pretty much Oh, this is exaggerating, but he had 20 power play goals on like 40 power play shots in 18-19. So it gave him a 22% shooting percentage. This season, he had an 18% shooting percentage. This postseason, he's shooting 20%. So this guy just can really uh, make the most of his shooting opportunities. And I'm like very much ready to call him a high-end converter. I already was, but I think that's going to mean that he can get back closer to 40 goals than I I thought he might be able to. I sort of saw him as a 30-goal scorer, but I could see 40 in his sights again, and that, of course, would help him get back up to that 90-point-plus pace. So uh, there's my whole Braden Point rundown. Pedersen, of course, uh, the other guy you mentioned, just refresh me. (laughs) Sebastian Ajo. Sebastian Ajo. Okay, yeah, of course, too. We've spoken about him, I think, just as Caroline was eliminated. Ben? What do you want to fill in some blanks here? Or, I have or a few a few thoughts on these guys for sure. I was also thinking about Andre Palat quite a bit because I think that he's somebody who is going to be a like late mid round. Either he's you know you grab him and he puts up the fifty five point pace and he gives you the banger stats and he like totally outperforms like deep roster spot. Or he's like a guy that you end up having to cycle out because the, he gets cycled off the top line. He kind of reminds me of like a much less, a much safer version of what Ty Ratty was a year or two ago, where it's just like he just had this great, he's having an incredible playoffs. And he does have these runs of like 10 games or so where he gets the majority of his points and then he tends to go cold. So I think that Andre Pallad is somebody who folks should be targeting in that like 110 to 140 overall range who can outperform and he can outperform that spot, but he could also, you know, end up not on your roster at the end of the year. Uh, Braden Point was a guy I had down as well, Elon, to just say like, guys, don't worry about this past year. And the reason why I felt that people were worried is because of the injury that he had coming into the year. And he came back a little bit um, slower than the 92 point pace that Brian had mentioned. So definitely I am not afraid of grabbing Braden point here. Um, I am a little bit surprised to hear Elon t- uh, cite the chip Alexander interview as, as his reasoning for um, the Sebastian Ajo breakout, not because chip, you know, spoke negatively about, Aho, but because his his uh, when Elon asked like what the improvement could be for Aho, it was more responsibility defensively, and so if that's kind of what they're looking at for as far as his progression goes, then I, I like there's a lot of room for players to get much better in hockey terms and not improve in fantasy hockey terms, and so I, I think that Aho could just be an 85 point guy who becomes more. Uh, mature defensively. I, obviously, Svechnikov's development could also provide him uh, a higher upside. I, I think where he's being drafted now or where most people have him is probably the approximate correct space. And I, I wouldn't think to bump him up too much higher outside of the top 25. But the one thing that I would kind of qualify all of this with is I think we sometimes get a little too hype on linear development with players and with teams. And I just don't know that I'm you know, like, yes, they're older, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they 
immediately surpass where where they've been before. I really like that point. I like linear progression is uh is a really easy way to get misled about where a player is going. Uh, you know, you just see them getting better and better and you're like, "Okay, they're 24. Okay, they're 25." Even in the years of their prime, you're not necessarily going to see that improvement over improvement every year, right? At some point, they're going to peak and plateau. Pedersen is an example of a guy I don't think we've seen that for. But actually, Elon, you were, I thought I forgot that you were saying like Aho's going to break out further. I almost feel like Aho might be your new Tarasenko. Like remember Tarasenko? <laughs> like I was like he's a guy you can set your watch to seventy five points, no problem. You're not going to get more, but you're not going to get less. Uh, and you were like, no, no, this, he's got more in him. I think Sebastian Ajo is probably a point-per-game guy, but I am also, uh, like Ben, not willing to go far above that. I don't think there's like a breakout to a new offensive level coming for him. Uh, okay, uh, we'll see. <laughs> uh, again, what, what this linear progression thing, Brian, Ben was referring to what I said about Svechnikov, right? I'm saying Svechnikov, who's yeah. only 20, he's the guy that I'm saying has probably another gear, considering he just put up a... I was si- talking about Ajo, sorry. Yeah, so my point, again, to, just to clarify my point, <laughs> I what I said in uh, in the interview, and then what I'm saying now, it's more like what I said, not what Chip said. Is I said, I'm excited for Ajo, because Svechnikov is probably going to get better, so Ajo doesn't even need to get better, just playing with a better Svechnikov also probably helps in terms of uh, getting more points one thing that chip did say though that really got me salivating is i asked about do you think they're going to stick with the line they had in the playoffs of tara vinen aho and svechnikov or do you think they're going to spread it around and he said that he's been hearing that maybe they want to try to go after the same model as the bruins where they just have this like, amazing top line and like as soon as you start thinking about that bruins top line then you start thinking about a brad marchand and a bergeron and all these you know obviously pasternak i'll finish the set you know these are like 100 point players right especially the uh, marchand and pasternak so so, uh, I don't know. Uh, Brian's like very quick to just uh, dismiss and be like, "You think that Aho is a Tarasenko?" I'm not quick to dismiss. I said, "I'm just wondering if maybe." I, I said, "I have a feeling that this is going to be your next." Okay. Um, well, I'm pretty confident in Sebastian Aho. And I think that he Me is too. going to be a 90-point player next year. So you've heard it here first. Brian thinks that's that's too hot to take. I think maybe even plus. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I thought it was like a cold take, but now it's not, now you're giving me some juice here. Uh, I'll bring well, up one I, I other. I was right about Tarasenko, so I'm not sweating. I love how like you bring up a play. Oh, you're not sweating this because I once said that Vladimir Tarasenko could be a point per game player. You twice said it, at least. <laughs> okay, so I guess did you not think that he could be Brian? No, no, sorry, it's not that Tarasenko can't be a point per game player. Elon, you were expecting more than that from Tarasenko. No, I was expecting a point per game. He had never hit that. Uh, so Brian, Brian, how about this? Uh, I'll just retire from podcasting because I got this Tarasenko thing wrong. So clearly, like any take I make from now on is is null and void. So I'm just saying that maybe there's an analogy to be. What's made the analogy? Here. They're completely different players. One's a center. Uh, anyway, whatever. Okay, so uh, I will say one other player that I wanted to bring up, which isn't at the same level, but another guy that sort of just cemented to me that what I was starting to feel is like for real. And this is another guy who didn't play very much. So this is going back a little bit. But Kevin Fiala had that amazing second half of the season, as we all recall, where some po- somehow, uh, you know, Minnesota went from playing him, like, not too often and not in big roles, and all of a sudden they put him on the top line, and he just, like, exploded, right? He was, like, a point-per-game guy for the second half of the season. And then, you know, for whatever it's worth, uh, four points in four games before Minnesota got eliminated in the playoffs. So it's super small sample size, but just, like, I'm super excited, guys, for Fiala for next season. Uh, again, with the hockey cards, but, like, his uh, rookie cards are going for super cheap right now, and I feel like by uh, half 
halfway through next season, you're going to be able to double your investment because I think Kevin Fiala, and same in fantasy. I think that he's still not going to go super high in drafts because people are still going to look at their his like overall numbers. And so I, if I had to pick one player now that I think, I'm not going to say a sleeper because everyone knows he's good, but I feel like he could end up being like a Rantanen from a couple years ago where it's like, you know, he was getting drafted really far. Then he ended up like being like, oh, I knew he was good. I thought he was going to be like 60 points. He turned out to be like 80 points. I think like that could be like Fiala as well next season. And so he'd be a guy that I think is going to be someone who, yeah, is just going to like overperform their draft position next year. And for the four games I saw in the playoffs, my mind wasn't changed. Can I ask, what do you guys see his, like if you guys were do, recording the Almanac tonight, what would you guys be projecting Kevin Fiala at? Yeah, it's a good question, right? So I guess I just sort of put my stake but it's like you know not fully researched when we do the almanac we're looking into a lot of stuff also i think i know i yeah i'm just saying like i mean i'm thinking like 75 points like right now i'm like excited obviously though it depends like they just traded future stud luke luke kunin or joel (laughs) erickson x centering him not to call back to last to last week's overlong argument about the two but i'd be i need to see who's going to center him first and we'd be making the almanac hopefully with that knowledge so like honestly without a center I wouldn't give him more than 60, but with a center, I'm with Elon. I, I think he could go 75. I, I, like, I could see him being a point-per-game guy if he has a center that he can jibe with or that anyone could realistically jibe with. Right now, he doesn't. Brian, to be fair, this season, do you want to know who his most common center was? Um, yeah, it wasn't Eric Stahl. Right, it was Miko Koivu. Yeah, but Miko Koivu's good. He is not. He's not offensively good at all. He's offensively very bad. Ryan, you're saying that you think 37-year-old Miko Koivu <laughs> is, like, a big improvement over, like, Luke Kunin or Joel Erickson. Like, I'd imagine at the very least they're probably the same. Also, just to remind people, because I know, like, right now we're sort of just uh, pointing out just the some little things, but I did point out in that episode that... I do think Minnesota's not done, and we've heard a lot of trade rumors about Matt Dumba, and I think it would make a lot of sense for them to move Dumba for a good center, and I think a lot of teams would be willing to give a good center for a defenseman that they perceive to be a top-four D-man like Dumba. Definitely, I think that they're going to make more moves, but I'm not super bullish on their the moves that they will make based on the moves that they've made so far. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, so, like, I... But I I don't know. I don't under... Like, yeah, Koivu's not in his prime, just to go back to this. But he's not not nothing either. Like, he's not bad. Uh, I think he's probably better than the present options to be the top line center. So, uh, so, like, he's he's a responsible guy. He's a good passer. He's a steady hand. I, I think that all helps Fiala. Yeah, also don't forget the thing that the other big unknown which to some people isn't a big unknown, is Kirill Kaprasov might be the other player on his line. And see, the word, word on the street is this is a very good player, right? So obviously we haven't seen any action from him unless you've been watching some KHL games. But uh, this might be huge for him. And there have been players in the past that put up a lot of points, even though their center wasn't amazing. I'm going to come up with an example while Ben or Brian present their next uh, RTP takeaway. Uh, ben, go ahead. Uh, should we leave it to Brian, though? I feel like he hasn't had a chance to do no, Brian's I, trademark gripes. I'm just going to gripe towards the... You want to hear a gripe? Sure. All right. Uh, here's a hot take. It's a chore to watch the Stanley Cup final. I think the NHL playoffs peak... I think the whole season peaks in the first round, and then like on a graph, as time passes, the interest level 
from me and like the excitement level of watching the games just like dips slowly so that we're in the Stanley Cup and I'm less interested in the games being played than I am at any moment. Yes, there's real like these high stakes moments. Yes, there's these really exciting goals. I was watching Dallas Tampa with no rooting interest and like my heart was in my throat or my stomach was in my chest. I don't know what the saying is, but like I was excited. It was very intense. And there were a few moments where like, again, not invested, but I was like, oh, oh, like, and that was exciting and fun. But I think those moments do get fewer and farther between because you end up just ending up with two teams who are still alive and good for them. And often they're, they're the better teams, but they're just grinding through their 25th playoff game or, or however many they've played. And they just lack the same pop that you saw them have in the first round. It's not so much like you're not seeing their best. You're seeing that they're deep teams, that they might be the least wounded teams. Um, and that's great. Um, because that's what they're being rewarded for. But I am so just like, I, I don't know if it's also just like I'm done. Like I was saying, I feel now the way I do in June. Uh, I like hockey. I really enjoy watching it. But it's like I have to push myself sometimes to, to flip on the Stanley Cup playoffs and see what's happening. I just feel like it goes backwards <laughs> in terms of excitement. But how's that different than any other sport? I mean, that's a good question. Like, I don't know the solution. I'm not I saying I love, I love watching the finals more elsewhere. But yeah, Ben, I'd love to hear you speak to. I actually completely agree. And I'll tell you what's more exciting than the NHL finals, which is the NBA's conference finals, which are on right now. <laughs> and, you know, you're watching superstars on the court every minute of every game and they're all every game they're doing something awesome whereas like i'm watching the dallas stars in the fourth round of the nhl playoffs and tyler sagan is useless out there jamie ben is not himself like the guy like that used to be a line that we would talk about where you would go you'd run to the waiver wire to get the third guy on that line that is no longer the case and so i think the nhl finals are for the teams of or the fans of those teams more than anything else. Totally agree. And I'll add like on the NBA front, I mean, I got into watching the NBA as the Raptors have, you know, grown to be a a real contender and have really enjoyed those games. But I think one thing working against the NHL is that it's such a physical game, not to say that the NBA is not physical, but I think there's a much better chance that your players are not playing banged up, you know, at 60 to 70% capacity by the end of the playoffs, uh, that when they get to the championships, uh, in the NBA, they're still like able to do their best stuff. Whereas in the NHL, uh, I don't think that's the case. You know, every highlight is a blocked shot. Which actually, you know, sometimes the case in the NBA too. And I actually, at first that was a gripe for me. Uh, but then like, as I see more and more block shots, like it is fun to see the talent level and like the, the lack of fear of an NHL forward or defenseman just like throwing themselves in front of it. But also it's not the highest skilled play that I want to see over and over. And neither are the goals that are scored in the Stanley Cup finals, right? And as you get later into the playoffs, it's a lot more of these chippy goals, you know, almost always a deflection or a redirect or like something unexpected, the puck ricochets or careens, and someone, you know, who manages to get position in front just is able to to slam it home. That's the most common goal we see in the finals and in the playoffs as it goes forward. Um, that's also, I think, a result of the, the team's becoming better, right? Like in the early rounds, there's one team who might just be able to take advantage of the other. But 
I would love to see more higher skilled plays in the Stanley Cup finals from really healthy and able players. Yeah, so it's interesting. First of all, like, yeah, this playoffs has been even more compressed than usual. So maybe that's leading to it in this playoffs. I would say, Brian, yeah, you make some good points. Like, I think a, a chore is a strong word to use. Like, definitely to me, that's a little too, too far. Like, I've enjoyed watching it still. Um, but I think a point that you both were sort of hovering around is that in the NBA, also, it seems like the best players are usually on the teams that make it to the finals, right? LeBron James has been in the finals, what is like 10, the 10 past seasons, or except for the one year he was injured. So I think in the NBA, like one player can like carry their team so far, where you're almost guaranteed that the finals are going to have like a superstar player, unlike in the NHL, where everyone was complaining, I I think you guys especially, after the play-in round, when, you know, McDavid and Crosby and all the superstars got eliminated. So now all of a sudden we're in the finals, so like Tampa has a lot of stars, but you brought up, Ben, a bunch of Dallas Stars players who maybe people aren't as excited to watch. Maybe if we were watching Edmonton versus Tampa Bay and we had like McDavid versus Kucherov, that could be a lot of fun. But obviously not if what Brian's saying that everyone's like injured. I see Brian, you're, yeah. you're, you're sighing here. Well, you're, no, you're not happy with this. Well, <laughs> well, you're turning it into a please like my spark. Like I'm not saying the NBA is better than the NHL. Like I, I, I agree. Like I don't love that aspect of the NBA and I'm not saying I wish the NHL was more like the NBA. I'm just saying the NBA playoffs... I think, have a better, more entertaining arc than the NHL playoffs do. I mean, I definitely didn't mean it that way. Like, I was I was legit agreeing with you and saying that I think the NBA benefits But then you're from... like, but the NBA has one guy can win the game. Hockey's a team sport, which but I didn't true. mean that as, like, it's better or worse. I just oh, mean, like, okay. that's just how it is. Like, okay. Michael Jordan, I watched that documentary, and the Bulls were a championship team, and then Michael Jordan went to play baseball, and then all of a sudden they, like, didn't make the play or they barely made the playoffs, like, the in a couple years. So it's just a fact that in the NBA, a star player makes a big difference. In the NHL, obviously, McDavid makes a big difference, but Edmonton still got eliminated by the Chicago Blackhawks, who aren't supposed to be a very good team. So obviously it's a lot more of a team sport, and McDavid didn't have... Whatever, we know what happened. In the chat, we've got Shams asking, is seven games too many? And Go Hollywood was saying, uh, thinks the variance of teams playing is exciting, as opposed to the same team again right. and again. So you have, I guess you have more teams and more styles to watch, uh, more players to watch. And then added Palat's goal was pretty sexy. It's, and it's true. Like, there's still some really fun moments. It's just, again, I, I feel like they get fewer and farther between as the playoffs roll on. How fun was that Stamkos, like, six minutes of play that he got <laughs> yeah. in where he, like, had a few shifts, scored that great goal, and then, like, called it a night, which is totally yeah. reasonable. But uh, that was pretty exciting. Yeah. But in terms of, like, the entertainment value and stakes, like, the stakes go up, but the entertainment value goes down. So, like, that one even if it's a garbage goal, is like an amazing moment. And that's awesome and exciting. But I would trade that. Like, I I don't think it's a good trade-off. Yeah, also the, the point that was made by, I think it was Go Hollywood, it's just like, but this is every sport. But it's like, it's fun when there's like six games on a night and you get to choose between all these different... Now we, we're watching the same game or the same teams playing, I guess, somewhat of the same game every single day. So I can understand why, Brian, maybe after six times watching Dallas versus Tampa Bay, you're not as excited to watch Dallas versus Tampa Bay as opposed to in the early rounds where you get to watch different people play every single day. Right. Ben, sorry, I, uh, you had a, a comment. And then we can move on to more fantasy stuff. 
Yeah, I think I was going to add on to what Brian said, which is like, I definitely feel like my complaints about the NHL playoffs are personal. Like it's not a, you know, the NBA is a better sport because I like the the third and fourth rounds of the, the playoffs more. But I just feel like NHL, the NHL for me is most watchable when I'm learning and following about fantasy. And then also when a my team is still alive or the matchup itself is really fun and fast. And I don't think that the the NHL does a good job of emphasizing those qualities when it gets into the the deepest parts of the playoffs. So for me, it becomes less watchable. But I understand for others that they they enjoy seeing these different teams make it to the final. And, and fair enough. So I guess um, I'll can I bring up another couple players that I feel like uh, I sort of in the same vein as before, like players who. I already was starting to form an opinion. Now the playoffs have like cemented it in a way which maybe I wouldn't have had it as cemented if we didn't have these playoffs. One guy that jumps out to me is Brock Nelson on the Islanders. So he's coming off a career year where he had 54 points in 68 games for a 65-point pace. The year before that, he had a 53-point pace, which was his career year at that point. Before that, he was not even a half-point-per-game guy most of the time. And obviously, he's gotten a bigger role on the team. Like He's playing more minutes than ever before. And in these playoffs, he... I think led the team in points. I'll have to bring that up. I don't think he had more points than Barzal, or it was very close. He ended with 18 points in 22 games. In our, like, keeping Carlson playoff pool drafts, like, you could see he was getting drafted higher and higher in every round, which obviously makes sense just because there were fewer teams, but also, like, even taking that into account, like, people were starting to realize, man, this guy's, like, reliable. Like, when the Islander, like, he seems to get a point almost every time the Islanders play, and I feel like now going to next season... You know, maybe it would have been easier to, like, when making our projections to be like, okay, maybe he, like, overperformed this year. He's never been a 65-point guy before, so what are the chances he'll do it again? But now after this playoffs, I do kind of get the feeling, like, he does, like, just watching those Islanders games also, he does seem like a 60-65 point guy. Like, he seems like a solid bet to get a point, if not every game, then, you know, pretty often, three out of four games. I mean, I, I agree, Elon. Um, I think that, but to... To what I mentioned earlier about how I don't want the RTP, I, I'm not letting the RTP influence me too much. Brock Nelson was a 65-point guy in the regular season. So I think that this is about what we're going to see from Brock Nelson moving forward. But I, I do agree, you know, from drafts 2019-20 to drafts 2020-21, definitely much more interested in Brock Nelson. Yeah, he's Brock solid. He's, he's someone you can count on uh, night in, night out. He's rarely going to go super cold, or at least that's how it feels. We know since Barry Trotz has arrived uh, in Long Island that Nelson has been his favorite. So he's going to keep getting time in all situations. He's going to keep getting opportunities to at least put up a point or two. And he is solid enough to be able to handle that. And, you know, before these playoffs, I'd say, you know, 55 points is a safe bet. I'm willing to go up to 60, but I also wouldn't go that much higher. Uh, as nice as the consistency is, I think the upside is pretty limited with Nelson. Yeah, well, it's interesting, Brian, because like, he just put up a 65-point pace season and a higher pace in the playoffs, and now you're still saying you won't go higher than 60. So you still need you still need more time. So maybe next year, if you could get 65 again, then maybe you'll be ready to call him a 60. I don't know. I feel like you still won't ever go 65 Okay, so maybe I'll go 60. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go a lot. I, I don't think I can go a whole lot higher. Okay. Uh, so and, and to be fair, let me go the other direction. And again, I think what Ben said is is right. Like, I guess I use the playoffs not to completely change my mind about players, but maybe players who already had a regular season that was different than what we were expecting, then the playoffs could help cement that, okay, maybe this actually is just who this guy is from now on. And in the other direction, I'll bring up, and I, I have a feeling, Brian, I'm not sure actually what you'll say, Brian, but uh, Claude Giroux 
is coming off a not great regular season where he only had 53 points in 69 games for a 63 point pace, which is one of his worst seasons like of his career. Actually, if you look down his uh, his career his point paces, he's generally well above a 63 point guy. And then in the playoffs, he was even worse, right? And obviously, they played against Carey Price, who was tough to score against, and he played against the Islanders. So you could say that like they had a tough draw in terms of who he was playing against, but uh, only only eight points in 16 games. And it just makes me hard. I'm not saying that he's going to be now a, like a 40-point guy like he looked like in the playoffs, but maybe this like 60-point Giroux is actually like the new Giroux for next year. When if you know if he had like gone off in the playoffs, maybe then I would have been more confident to say like okay, like you know he just had a down year. But now I'm thinking oh, maybe this is him. So I'm curious to know if you guys like agree with that or if you think I'm giving too much weight to this playoffs where they played against Montreal and the Islanders. I think I'm going to mostly agree. Like I'm looking at his numbers and it doesn't seem like he was, there was like some poor variance. Uh, he had a 58% IPP when he's usually closer to 75 or even 80%. So that's one place where he might've uh, lost out at five on five in the regular season. But honestly, uh, he also lost a pretty good chunk of deployment. He was down over a minute compare uh, of ice time per night at five on five compared to several of the previous years. So I, I think we're seeing his ice time decline. Uh, and I think that might be a, an Alan Vigneault thing. I think this just might be uh, how he's viewed by his coach and, and what his usefulness is at this stage in his career. I'd like to believe that Giroux still has more in the tank, but he's not given me a whole lot of reason to believe it's there. Uh, I could also mention that Zana's shooting percentage dropped, but not to an unhealthy level. Like you could argue it might have been a little, a little high in his 85-point season in 82 games. I mean, he's coming off... Uh, like he's had a really strange career, right? He was super amazing. And then he dropped off and then he had a 102 point season that came out of nowhere after a 58 point season where he essentially felt like he doubled his point totals. But of course we warned against it. We didn't think it was going to last. One of the things he had going for him was a, a crazy career high shooting percentage, which fell off, but he still managed to be over a point per game in 1819 and then fell off again uh, this season to some extent. So uh, he's not someone I'm counting on. I'm still open to being surprised by Claude Giroux, but if I'm drafting him, I'm thinking like 65, 70 points. Uh, and I'm not thinking that I'm, I'm not hoping for any more than that. I agree. I mean, he's, it's just, we talk about nonlinear outcomes and we're looking at the, the last few years of Claude Giroux's career. He's been up and he's been down. I, I think that 70 points would be a solid bounce back at this point. And uh, yeah, I, I agree with the two of you on him. So would it be, I think the real hot take here would be, what if someone projected Brock Nelson to have more points than Claude Giroux? Would anyone, would, would either of you give me two to one odds on that bet? That Brock Nelson outscores Claude Giroux? Yeah. Uh, I don't really, like, I've never been good at odds and understanding exactly <laughs> what I'm giving up. If I give you t- if I give you two to one odds, that means you make twice as much if you win the bet? Yeah, so if, let's say $5. If Giroux has more points, I give you $5. If Nelson has more points, you give me $10. Well, I know your stance on both those guys, so I would not give you those odds because I, I think okay, you I'd, make the bet anyway. I'm not actually talking about, like, making the bet. I'm more doing as a thought experiment for the <laughs> listeners. Like, how confident are you that Giroux is better than Brock Nelson at that point is what, is what I'm trying to get at. I don't, I'm, pretty, I'm not trying to I'm make... pretty confident. I mean, I, we would all draft Giroux ahead of Nelson, yes? By several rounds. 
Yeah, and I think it would be a mistake. <laughs> like, I think I'll let someone else draft Giroux. I'm not saying that, like, I also would take Giroux over Nelson, but I'm saying it might right. be a lot. People might not. I just think that they're both uh, going, like, this season, by the way, Brock Nelson pays for more points than Claude Giroux. Uh, mm-hmm. So, not saying that that'll happen next year, but I'm just saying I think in people's minds, Brock Nelson is still, like, boring Brock Nelson, and Claude Giroux is still superstar Claude Giroux, and I think they might be, a lot, maybe it's not, like, done yet that one is past the other, but I wonder if they're a lot closer than people think. I guess that's that's the main point I'm making with these past two players I brought up. I agree. Uh, so, Ben, you got another takeaway? Uh, I've got a couple more. They get less and less exciting, as if, like, <laughs> my existing ones have already been exciting. Maybe but. <laughs> we should lightning round whatever's left between you and Ben. And I'll, and I'll end with my last hot take. Okay. Ben, hit us. Alright, this one's kind of my last one. I'll be honest. Um... I wanted to talk about Dallas players a little bit more. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. I'm not getting too excited about anyone there. I, I do think if you look at numbers, like obviously Miro Haskinen steps out or stands out. I think that there's a bit of a Norris trophy type trap there, kind of like with Seth Jones a few years ago, where it was like people were so hype about how good at hockey Seth Jones were, was that they were starting to think like, oh, and he'll also be a top five fantasy defenseman. And I think that he has that capability because his back end stats are so good. But I don't think that Columbus is offensively gifted enough to kind of put him in that echelon. So Miro Haskinen, I think, is similar. I just he's obviously amazing. I think he's every bit as good as he's been these playoffs, but I think there's a bit of a mirage as far as even strength scoring over 82 games or however long next year is. So I'm watching there. The one breakout that I do find really interesting in Dallas uh, and somebody who I, you know, obviously Denny Garyanov stands out as somebody who looks really good in low minutes, but Rope Hints was supposed to break out this year and he didn't really hit that height. I feel like, Watching that team this year and especially how much he's getting used on the power play, he's shooting a ton. He's still not on that top unit, but he's shooting like crazy on the second unit. And I think that Rope Hints is a guy who you could get him at exactly the same price you got him in in drafts one year ago. And I think that he, you have every reason to be as hopeful moving into next year as you did going into this one. Hmm. I'll definitely make a bet of Gurionov over Hints if you wanted to. Like, I guess I don't really... Well, Hints is injured right now. And again, then we don't know if, like, it'll come out that maybe he was even injured for a lot of the rest of the playoffs. His ice time has been all over the place, all throughout the playoffs. Like, even with Dallas being successful, he fell down to, like, 12 minutes and a half for a couple of games, even 12 minutes. And then he bounced up to, like, 16, 17 in some games. Those might be overtime games, actually. I haven't checked. So, uh, I don't know. I haven't really seen as much from Hints as you're bringing on. I think Gurionov has been exciting uh but i think the main takeaway you had is like dallas as a whole just we'll see if they could be an offensive team next year and the haskinen thing is interesting because i think a lot of people will be drafting him as like a 50 point defenseman next year i also think haskinen is going to be drafted probably ahead of john klingberg and haskinen overall if you look at their playoff numbers 26 points in 26 games for haskinen only 21 points in 25 games for klingberg but you know more recently from my, I, I guess I, I'd have to bring it up, but I feel like in the last couple of rounds, Klingberg has really picked up the pace. Haskinen, well, actually, Haskinen now has points in three straight games. He kind of got, went a little quiet there at the end of the Vegas series and at the start of the Tampa series. So now he has points in three straight games for whatever that's worth. But Klingberg has... I, like, Klingberg hasn't gone away yet. Like, I think a lot of people just assumed at one point, even in the playoffs, maybe before that, that, like, it's, like, just a matter of time and maybe as soon as the start of next year where John Klingberg loses a lot of responsibility and Haskinen takes that over... I don't, I don't know. Like Klingberg's really good. <laughs> Clearly, we're seeing that he has a lot of offensive upside. And maybe we're looking at two 
45 point defenseman next year neither of them like maybe jumps up to 60 and maybe neither of them falls below like 45 yeah it seems like the the uh, like this calls back to what we were talking about dallas at the start of the show that like i don't think this is a time to get carried away with the way that Dallas is producing. They had a fantastic regular season, and I don't think they want to change their playbook a whole lot. Uh, I think they've had to change it a little bit because they're playing these high offense teams and they're going to need to score goals against Colorado, against Vegas, against Tampa. But preferably, they would rather uh, get a one nothing lead on you and then just shut it down. They have a great record in one goal games this season. Of course, that stat is, is fraught with all kinds of biases and, and little changes. And it's not really a reliable way to look at games, but I don't think it's a misrepresentation of the way that the stars hope to play, which limits the upside of any of these guys. So like between Gorianov and Hintz, I like Dennis Gorianov, uh, even though Hintz seems to be a guy with a whole lot of skill. I just don't know that he's ever going to be able to show it to the full extent. And I, I feel the same about Goryanov, but at least Goryanov has like this killer shot that should at least get him some goals uh, from situations that don't always appear to be goal rich or, or, or a place where you could rack up a point. And then going to Haskinen and Klingberg, Elon, I agree with you. Uh, you know, Haskinen 35 points in 68 games this, this year, which is, uh, great for a sophomore and we've seen him be even better in the postseason but i still see defense uh, being the huge priority in dallas and i'm not counting on either one surpassing 50 points i think haskinen is probably going to be one of the most overdrafted players in this year's upcoming drafts Ooh. yes yeah, so it's a hot take brian most of your takes i feel like have been that players are not going to get as many points, I guess, unless it's like a like a Miko Koivu or someone who's done it in the past. Oh my I guess. God. Don't, don't do I kid. Okay, Ben, do you have any response to that before I get to my next uh, hot take? No, I agree that Klingberg looks really good, though. I I think that it's a one A one B situation, and and I think that they're both going to be useful. And yeah, I, I'm I'm wary of Haskinen. Yeah, I, I mean, I like Haskinen a lot, by the way, long term. Like, I'm talking about, like, maybe for next year for fantasy. I agree with Brian that he'll be o- overdrafted, maybe. But in a dynasty league, I feel like in a couple years from now, like, obviously, it depends on what Dallas, you know, like, things don't always stay the same forever, right? So you think, I think Haskinen is super talented. I bought his rookie card. And, <laughs> but my plan is to get it graded and then not sell it for, like, five years. I think that that's when he's, you know, when he's, like, starting to approach like the end of his contract let's say anyways whatever i think he's gonna be great but yeah next year he might be overvalued because of a great like especially a great early playoffs you know like you look at the gaudy playoff numbers and a lot of it is from the first two rounds against like dallas really ended up feasting a bit on who did they play again I'm, i have to actually remind myself uh what happened early in the playoffs okay i've got it here so they played against calgary and then they played against Colorado, where actually you wouldn't think you should be able to feast against Colorado. But those games, if you recall, were like 5-4 games, like over and over again. So there were a lot of goals being scored. And then Vegas and Tampa are more representative of the types of games you'd think are going to be happening in the regular season. And there, Haskinen's fallen to more of like a half point per game. Like I said, he's been he's gotten a point each of the most recent three games. So but speaking of defensemen, this is, a I guess, a takeaway that I've already sort of shared on the podcast. But just to solidify it here... Like, d- defense for next year is fascinating to me. 
in terms of I feel like we can list 10 players with like almost even odds for who's going to lead defenseman in points next year. And I think the playoffs have, have only like made me more confident that because now like maybe Hedman had started to fall off a little bit. Like at this point, Hedman is obviously in that conversation with the playoffs he's had. Don't forget Shea Theodore and the amazing run he had with Vegas before they started to get shut down by Dallas. Uh, Hughes and Makar, of course. Then we have like a Haskinen who maybe we're saying we don't think he'll be one of the top scoring defensemen. I'll bet you a lot of people might Think, put him there and then of course we have the guys who were there this year in john carlson shay uh sorry roman yosi i was about to say uh shay weber but i guess he was on nashville at some point i don't think he'll be in that conversation plus you've got the old guard of eric carlson and brent burns who i don't think are done yet so it's just like so many names of defensemen where i wouldn't be surprised if any of them turn out to lead defensemen in scoring next year which i think is pretty wild i don't think that we've had that before in the history of keeping Carlson. Like, I feel like we've, if we did a Schmore defense board episode where we tiered defensemen, I feel like we'd have like a couple in the top tier in most years and be pretty yeah. confident it'll be one of them. And next year, it's like, it could be like all these guys that I just said. Like, I think probably if I had to bet right now, I'd pick Hughes or Makar, but I'm not like so, so confident. I like that take a lot, and I think it, it it really does show how many super talented, high-end offensive defensemen exist who are also capable of not just submarining their team on defense to the point that they don't get the deployment that they would need to put up 60, 65, 70 points to lead the league in defensive scoring. Uh, it used to be, as you mentioned, Burns, Carlson, then a gap. Then Hedman and like, depending on the year, one or two other guys, and then another gap, and then and then the pack. Yeah, Chris Letang was there. I remember also P.K. Subban was there for a short time. Yeah, yeah, everyone's been, I mean, that's the thing, it shifts, right? You've had, uh, like, Klingberg was up with Hedman at some point, too, in my mind. Uh, so, uh, but now it's, like, you have this more even landscape amongst the top. So it's almost like goalies and defense have switched places in terms of how many guys are available on the top, top end, and then what you're looking at once you get past that group. Yeah, I'm not going to be the first person to take a defenseman next year. I think I'll be the... Uh, I'm happy to grab two of the the 6 to 10 range rather than one or two. Yeah, yeah. You, it's... Yeah, you like... I it used to be a real hot thing to do. Uh Elon, I think like as we started the podcast, taking a defenseman in the first round sort of became our habit, our thing and like we would recommend like the the value over replacement is huge and uh this is it's really waning now. The the reasoning to do that is you just said Ben, uh I don't need to reach and make sure I get Burns Carlson or even Hedman in my first or second round. Because there's plenty of guys out there. Like, I can wait for the D run to start and then basically still get a guy who will keep up or should keep up reasonably well with the first two guys picked. Yeah, everything you guys are saying I agree with. I will point out that there still is a cliff that comes, right? Like, I mentioned, like, 10 guys that I think are, like, all, like, good bets to be, like, 60-plus point defensemen. And then I think we'll have to take a look at the list and we'll look at projections for next year. It might be the kind of thing where the reason to take a defenseman early will be because you might want to get like two or three of these guys potentially because then there's a huge drop. Like, you know, there's a value over replacement still, but it's not between number one and number three. Now it's between like number 10 and number 11. There might be a big drop there. So we'll have to look and see. But definitely lots of lots of big names right around the top of defensemen. So if you only need one, 
yeah, you definitely don't need to rush to grab whoever is going to be the. I wonder even who's going to be the top draft defenseman in drafts next year. I, I assume like Makar. It'll be John Carlson, right? John Carlson, maybe. Oh, I also didn't even it's mention. Gotta du- be Carlson. I didn't even mention Dougie Hamilton, who was among one of the top defensemen before he got injured this year. So there's like even probably names I forgot. Thomas Shabbat at one point was like one of, amongst the top defensemen a couple years ago in Ottawa. So there's a, a lot of big names out there. I bet Dougie continues his trend of being that like budget high end guy that you can get a little bit cheaper because people continue to underrate him after the injury. Yeah, well, especially considering I just forgot about him when I was listing all these top defensemen. So maybe that'll happen in your drafts as well. And you could get him a lot later because of that injury. Uh, So I got a couple more. I guess we're doing lightning round here. So I'll just like throw these out. This is one that I had a while ago again. But on Chicago, after Alex DeBrinckit's down year... I think he would have been a guy like Giroud to sort of assume like, hey, he'll probably be better next year. Then like these playoffs really kind of cemented to me that like it's going to be tougher to bring it to get back to those gaudy numbers that he put up a couple years ago because he might not even have a spot on the top power play waiting for him because it seems like Kubalik and Kirby Duck might be there with Taves and Kane and leave you know, Strom and Dabrinkit on the outside looking in. And same for just, like, general deployment. So I would say at this point, it would be really fun for us to do a draft of just Chicago forwards right now. And, like, why don't you guys just give a, give a quick ranking of Kubalik, Doc, Dabrinkit. I'm curious now, just this is a total points, just to keep it simple. Like, right now, I don't know, part of me kind of thinks it might be... Like, I guess you would leave... It, the easy thing is just put Doc third just because he's only a sophomore. But I feel like he's potentially got a big bump coming. Like, he looked really good in the playoffs. And yeah, I don't know. I might say Kubalik, Doc, Dabrinkit, but I can see it being close, but I can also see it. I don't know. It's like, (laughs) all I'm saying is mainly like Dabrinkit is not a sure thing to me. And I'm not ready to call him like a bounce back candidate for next year. I think there's very good reason to think he's even like worse than this year as he gets Uh, even less power play time. I put so much energy into describing why I think Dabrinkit, it it, like deserved a better fate than he had this season. But I will give it to you that there does seem to be uh, that deployment thing blocking him and the emergence of Kubalik and the presence of Doc uh, from actually getting up to where he once was. Uh, Dabrinkit, just for anybody just tuning in, had a five pass, had a shooting percentage at even strength below 5%. His shooting percentages in two years prior, 13% and 15%. Those are both rounded numbers. But essentially, he was shooting uh, one-third or one-fifth as successfully as he had in previous seasons. And that, to me, has appeared to be straight-up variance. Um, So, look, I have all the faith in the world that Dabrinkit is as dangerous a goal scorer as we've seen him be in his rookie and sophomore season, so I'm not at all writing him off. Uh, Elon, I still think he's a really incredible young hockey player who still has 40-goal potential, but uh, we'll give to you that that depth chart is getting a little crowded. And if he continues getting crowded out, uh, obviously that's going to keep him from reaching that potential. But I do think he's 22 years old, Elon. Patrick Kane is 31. Jonathan Taves is 32. Uh, at some point, they're going to need someone to become the new Kane and the new Taves. I think the best bet to be that guy in Chicago who's on the roster right now is Alex Dabrinkit. So I would want them to give him that opportunity to bloom and blossom and grow his game so that as those guys taper off, he can just pick up where they've left off. So that's why I I still favor Dabrinkit. I like Doc. Uh, You know I I have my hesitations about Kubalik, but I still like him. Um, But in terms of just straight-up talent uh, or, or upside, 
I would rank to brink it first, but in actual what's going to happen next year, it's not so clear cut. I'll give it to you. It seems very even between the three. Like to brink it isn't a guy you need to reach ahead of Doc and Kubalik to get. Yeah. So I think that I would probably still. I think I'd have you have to go Kubalik at the top after this past year, uh, just based on value right now. Um, and then I think I would take Doc over to brink it right now. As crazy as that sounds, I mean, it's we're a year removed from from Alex Debrinkit putting up what was it? Did he score forty? Yeah, he got forty one goals. So crazy to think that uh, that you that it's even a discussion. But watching uh, watching Doc take that top power play spot really uh, really put my really raised my interest level on him. Yeah, Brian, don't forget Kirby Doc, nineteen years old. He was drafted third overall. Last year, so it's not. I, I think that most people would actually say that maybe his upside is higher than Debrinket, but uh, there's there's room for both. Doc's the center. Like yeah. theoretically, we could have Debrinket, Doc, and Kubalik as a line. But you bring up how we have to wait for Taves and, and Kane to get out of the way. But they're they're not that old. Like I still think we're, if you're if you're projecting like five years down the road, then sure. But like I think that Taves and Kane aren't going anywhere. At least that's the impression I got from uh, my interview with Mark Lazarus. Uh, I, I don't expect them to to just go to up and leave, but I expect. Uh, I mean, they're both elite players so they might be able to hold off uh, an age-related decline for longer than others yeah. but it's it's coming if it hasn't already come like we've seen it has of course jonathan taves <laughs> be amazing and patrick kane has been uh continued being amazing but uh also point taken on on doc like i i 100 agree that he could have upside higher than to it but being as young as he is i think he's further from reaching it than to it could be like to it could realistically reach his upside this next season doc i wouldn't say brian i think you're simultaneously overrating jonathan taves and underrating patrick kane as far as their current status within the organization like i think that patrick kane is so clearly far and away the in in terms of fantasy the number one option on the wing on that organization and that puts a cap on Alex Debrinkit in a way that Jonathan Taves currently does not hold indisputable offensive number one center that's a hole in the organization that Kirby Doc might fill for years that Alex Debrinkit Listen, I'm not trying to project or prognosticate five, ten years down the road, but I do think that if we're reading the signs right now, there's a clearer path for Kirby Doc than there is for Alex Debrinkit. All right. And so I guess to finish off, I'll just rhyme off the rest of the things I wrote down here. Uh, number one, the Jets were total poop without Mark Shifley in the lineup. So I think that's not really a fantasy takeaway, but it's just like... That probably is not good. They need to not only have one good center on the team. So if Brian Little is not ready to come back, and even if he is, obviously the Jets need to figure something out. I'm sure they know that. But just a reminder of how things fell apart so quickly for them against Calgary once Shifley went down. Is this a Connor Hellebuck watch take? Because, like, that's kind of the situation, right? Like, they lost all their defensemen last year, and now they have one top six center they don't have anyone else right now in the organization who appears to be able to create offense in down the middle like to me that that's my takeaway is Connor Hellebuck is gonna have to be amazing again to be good in fantasy yeah and uh he did okay he played four games in the playoffs two of those games he was great even though he lost one of them letting in two goals in that final game against Calgary uh one of them he let in five goals but again it's like hard to hold it against Hellebuck I think Hellebuck is good but 
yeah, it depends what your categories are, right? Like, I think definitely goals against average is going to be a big problem for him because he, uh, Winnipeg is, is in trouble, potentially. But we'll see. I mean, he had a great year this year, but usually goalies who win the Vesna end up not doing as well the following year. So I think already Hellebuck's probably going to be overrated going into next season in terms of goalies. Like, I wouldn't be reaching for him. I'd rather take, like, if people want to take him over, like, a Carter Hart, like, I'll definitely take Carter Hart before Connor Hellebuck because of the team situation. But again, depends on your league settings and, and all of that. But yeah, I agree with you. I, you had a really funny tweet. Was that you, Ben, that said that when Hellebuck won the Vesna, that was a subtweet at the Jets? Uh, that was my wonderful co-host and co-tweeter, Lewis. Yeah, that was very funny. It's like the reason they gave him the trophies because it's so impressive how well he did on such a bad team. 100%. Uh, okay, what else do I have here? Uh, oh yeah, one, uh, Alex Tuck. Needs a shot. That was one takeaway for me. I'd love to see Alex Tuck get a consistent shot in the top six. Uh, and then Kadri and Burakovsky seem to be, like, for real. Like, I think they're going to both have huge seasons next year. And Brian, actually, I remember when we talked about Colorado, Brian brought up a really good point, which is, like, the reason why maybe Kadri struggled a bit in the regular season was because Rantanen and Landeskog were getting injured, which meant that a guy like Burakovsky was going to the top line, which then meant that Kadri had to play with much worse players. So I think a fully healthy Avalanche team that can just put Landeskog, Rantanen, and... McKinnon on the top line, and then Kadri with Burakovsky and hopefully someone else, maybe Taylor Hall, I don't know, on the second line. Like, I feel like we could be seeing huge seasons from Kadri and Burakovsky next year. So, uh, I love that, for yeah. sure. We, we, we both agree that Kadri's capable of it, and we both agree that Burakovsky, if he can get consistent deployment and be consistent himself can get there too i they they could finally be the match that like they might need each other and hopefully they get to be with each other (laughs) so sweet uh all right well this has been a blast ben thank you so much for coming and sharing all of your takeaways and having the idea to do this takeaways episode in the first place people if you liked this episode or if you didn't like this episode, tweet at Average Time on Ice and let them know. But I'm sure you're going to say that you did like the episode. Please be nice to me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Who's Who are these people going on Twitter and not being nice? But that's a whole other stupid rant, and uh, I won't get into that. But uh, yeah, follow Ben. So I guess it's at AVG Time on Ice on Twitter to get his and Lewis's and Jade's tweets, which are always a lot of fun. Uh, you're also at Burnett Hockey, I believe, on Twitter if someone wants to get in touch with you directly there's an underscore right in there you are correct at burnett underscore hockey uh yeah thank you guys so much for having me on it's always super fun to chat with you guys and uh be in the room while the two of you go at each other yeah well most of the listeners won't hear because i'll edit out all of the rude (laughs) things i said it'll sound like i was a a complete mensch on the show but people watching the live show definitely know what ben is talking about uh so brian i guess with that let's wrap up the show here so as always follow us on twitter at keeping carlson we'd love to hear your reviews and feedback on like apple Podcasts or wherever like give us that five-star review we really does us a big favor doesn't cost you a thing if you did want to throw us a buck a month we've got our patreon still going we're, we're gonna keep it going we're gonna try our best to come up with ways to keep engaging with the patrons you know even once the playoffs are over by the time the playoffs are over we're a couple weeks and we got free agency and all of a sudden we have a lot of new exciting things to talk about so we're gonna keep going with the patrons we're gonna keep going with the podcast uh so that's keepingcarlson.com slash patron for more information about that patreon program uh but with that uh i think it's time to cue the outro music and brian you can go ahead and read us the credits 
All right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabber Hockey and powered by our patrons. Logo art by Brandon Weeb, outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dabber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dabber Prospects, Natural Statue, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. <laughs> Great job, as always, Brian. Thanks so much for joining us, Ben. Looking forward to come back to you with another episode about something fun. Don't worry, we'll come up with something next week. Until then, remember, fantasy hockey is for everyone.